The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. My daughter is uh, 13 years old, and uh, we just came back from a basketball tournament uh, yesterday, and she, her team got crushed, she got crushed, she came home crying, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have the emotional energy. Um, but uh, I do want to say, um, talking about the books, um, my daughter has written four books, as as mentioned, and uh, they're self-published. Um, and um, we are going to try to write a, a book together this summer. And um, I'll have the ideas, and I'll make her do all the writing labors. Um, and uh, it, I think it will belong much more to her, and I'm really excited about this process with her. Uh, but the thing about her having four books and me only having two uh, she kind of carries that over my head all the time. And um, that's okay. That's what a dad's about, I guess. Um, go and fly, my daughter. Um, what you see here is me. Um, and the title of uh, the sermon is The You, You, Base, You, On. Uh, I remember Pastor Peter called uh, call me this week and saying, are we putting commas in any of this title here? And I said, no, it, titles just are left as they are. Uh, what you see is uh, a picture of me, a selfie, that uh, with a half mask, a uh, Phantom of the Opera thing, and in these God Take Me Deeper groups, uh, we have this exercise um, about uh, where we wear masks and we write words and pictures on them, on the outside, and it's showing the image of what people see of us, the, uh, how we are defining ourselves in front of others. And then when you take it off and you look at the inside of the mask, I shouldn't be telling you this because a few of you guys are in the God Take Me Deeper group and you haven't done this exercise yet, but that's okay. Uh, but if you flip it, there are some things written on the inside as well about things that you don't show people so readily about how you define you. You know, the definition of you is a process of the human journey from birth to death. Very much a little bit of marking has happened last night on my daughter's when she shot bricks um, for basketball, marking who she is. Um, it happens. It happened from infancy, uh, and it'll happen. Um, you know, my mom um, is 94, and it's still marking and defining her. Conscious or not, is a continual question of formation. Who am I? Let me give you a little psychology 101 uh, lesson on self-definition. And there's three areas that we can look at. The doing, being, and belonging. Um, Let's look at each one. First of all, we got doing. In the doing, 
You're resting your sense of self on your abilities and on your action. Doing has to do with being, you know, is allows us to say, I find joy in accepting challenges to create or to make things. I am able. It is good to act. The aspects relate to our creativity and our productivity. It is the motivation behind authoring something, anything. Our skills, our talents, our gifts are exercised through doing, and that feels satisfying. If we could remove our comparisons, our perfectionism, our self-criticism, what is left is that purity of doing. When I am right with what I do, then I can enjoy what I do. I have confidence, joy, and pleasure in the activity of creating and making. And so the psychological message here in defining you is try hard. Can you put that up? Thank you. And then in the next one, we have our being. In our being, it's resting your sense of self on your character and your personality. It's about identity. When our sense of being is undamaged, one can proclaim, I'm glad about who I am. It's good to be me. When I'm right with who I am, I'm in harmony with my inner self. There is a great sense of acceptance, even self-appreciation, without self-inflation. Just imagine what is left after all our self-doubt, image projection, and self-abasement is removed. Whatever is left is our sense of being. Unfortunately for some, for many, there's not much there. And the psychological message in the world is, in this part, be good. We're having rhythm. <laughs> Thank you. Um, then lastly, there's our sense of belonging. Resting your sense of self on your place and on your connections. Through belonging, we say, I can connect. I'm in relationships. I identify with. I have my place. When we are good with where we belong, we have confidence that we are desirable and that we can let others in. It also means we're lovable and we can love. Once the fear of rejection and the belief of being untouchable are stripped away, one sense of belonging can flourish. Some, though, live based on these fears and doubt that they can never belong. So the psychological message here on defining yourself is fit in. The gospel has a lot to say about these areas, about the self-definition process that every human being is going through. And we're going to look at the second chapter of Ephesians 
and read what Paul says and glean from what Paul says about the defining of ourselves. In Ephesians 2, first, uh, we'll read the first three verses. It says, Once you were dead in the trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This phrase, once you were, we see throughout Paul's writing in particular, but through in many of the New Testament writings. Paul says, once you were dead, once you were far away from God, once you were slaves of sin, once you were rebels against God, once you were full of darkness. Once you were far away, once you were his enemies, separated by your evil thoughts and deeds. And then Peter says, once you were like sheep who wandered far away. There's three components to being dead in our doing, being, and belonging. In doing, Paul tells us, that we walked in the course of this world. Dead in our doing, our abilities have been greatly limited with being dead. The catchphrase, just do it from the 90s, is a theological and psychological fallacy. What we really want to do morally and spiritually falls short. Our attempts toward good works pale in comparison to what we were designed to do. Paul, in his efforts to act rightly, said, For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, my sinful nature. For I have desired to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For the good I do, for what I do is not good. I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So we're dead in our doing. But we're dead in our being as well. As Paul says in this passage, we're children of wrath. Our nature is flawed. Because sin came into the world. Dead in our being is a matter of both nature and nurture. In regard to nature, it's interesting to observe that in the last couple, I would say even the last few decades, how behavioral issues, once thought purely as developed through our environment, purely as learned, are now believed to have a genetic component to them. Rage, antisocial behavior, and addictions have all found to have a DNA component 
to their origin. In regard to nurture, that same deadness and brokenness pervades in the learning social development of each and every being. When you read the gospel uh, where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of his time, he says, Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Like the Pharisees, all humanity suffers from this inner deadness and uncleanness and a condition that needs to be fixed. Then there's our belonging, where Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we're separated and alienated, dead in our belonging, our ability to connect with God, with others, and even to connect with ourselves have been broken. The romantic songs throughout the times have expressed the timeless frustrations of cries out for our desire for connection. We are alienated, feeling alone in the journey, unable to truly know and to be known, even as it is our deepest desire. We sit in the dark, afraid and lonely. Scripture says that all of us cry to God's intervention of grace are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of our ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And so the effects of this deadness is that it blinds us. Paul says that in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, and let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, that should shine on them. Sin has left us to struggle with ignorance, leaving us to stumble in the darkness and unable to realize truth. That is why we see alcoholics who don't believe they have a drinking problem. That is why we see the angry person who isn't aware of how his rage affects others. This is why the victim who doesn't know that abuse isn't normal or the overly dependent person who doesn't see how others are exasperated over all the attention they demand from them. In this state of deadness, humanity is left to struggle with disconnection and aloneness. As we see in Scripture tells us that we're separated from God, but we're separated from others, even separated from ourselves. This disconnection we experience early in life and impacts how we live even up to today. This um, God Take Me Deeper group I've been doing for maybe a decade now 
And um, one of the, we have these preliminary questions before we get kicked off the, the group. And one of the questions is simply this. Recall in your childhood a memory where an adult comforted you when you were going through emotional pain. And, boy, at least nine out of ten, if not greater, can't come up with any memory. Because, and that, to me, is a, a description of how emotionally alone we are. When it comes to emotionally hurt, these men found that the adults were absent in their life. And without another person present in the midst of our hurts, we are indirectly taught to isolate. One of my most painful, no, the most painful experience of my youth was the death of my father when I was 10 years old. My mom, uh, who is an immigrant from Japan, um, dealing with three uh, children, was overwhelmed and didn't know how to connect to any of us. I remember the whole experience as a lot of people suffering and we were all doing it alone. Brokenness of death leaves us more susceptible to future breakdowns. A broken sense of self is a great wound of this age. The wound in each person's sense of self, it starts with a crack, and through gradual and continual agitations of that crack, a great opening occurs that becomes a fracture in our soul. Sin enters our sense of being, doing, and belonging, and the result is this formation of cracks, of damages, of brokenness in our life. And we think, well, let's fix it. And we fix it by trying to hide, both from seeing the truth from ourselves and from revealing the truth to others. And like that half mask, people know. And we think in our delusion. And even though we may know they know, we don't want to take off the mask. We want to hide and wear that I'm okay mask when we feel like losers. It's when we participate in the hidden world of online enticements. Or it could be your passive aggressive. It's when your passive-aggressive co-worker thinks he does nothing wrong but forgets things that sabotage your work while keeping his anger hidden, like guerrilla-style warfare. And so we try everything we can to mask and pretty up our brokenness. But any effort... Um, change it up. Any effort of our own to construct or reconstruct self is make up being placed on the dead. So Paul starts off pretty hard 
about the state of self and the definition of self. But this is the gospel. And Paul is uh, the great author to explain the gospel because it turns around in Ephesians 2 where he starts out with this text. We once were, but now, uh, I like the version that says, but now, once we were, but now God, rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The uh, verse we all memorize. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Next one. Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alien from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, been, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came to preach peace to you who once were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we have both access to one spirit, the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens in the saints and members of the household of God, building the foundations of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grow in the holy temple of the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so redemption comes from our broken, dead self. But now, if you return, this is me alive. This is me alive. And our belonging, the Father adopts us. 
We're with Christ, in Christ, reconciled to God. We belong. And then in our doing, or which one's next? Can you? In our being, we are his workmanship. We're fellow citizens with the saints. And in him you're being built together as a dwelling place. And then in our doing, it is not of our own. It is not a, a, a result of our own work. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good work, as the Spirit empowers us that God had made beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the gospel message in its interest in our self-definition is though we were once dead, that Christ took our deadness and gave us his life. He took what was once ours and gave you us what is his. And the centerpiece of this chapter, uh, I'm, the whole book of Ephesians, is that it's all by grace. Grace is a word we hear all the time. Uh, the book I, uh, first book I wrote was called, is called Resisting Grace. You can see it. And, and um, because of my fascination and understanding, as there's been thousands of books, what is grace? And, how, and particularly, how does it affect the transformation of our lives? And Paul says, it's by grace. So what does this mean? As you see here, my wife and daughter couldn't be here, but that's my wife. <laughs> What's the phrase? She's the apple of my eye, right? Um, and, but the reason I have that picture up here is because if you look in the, in the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for grace, the root of it simply means uh, being seen favorably. That through the eyes, I see you with favor. And that the biblical message is that that's transforming. That being seen favorably with favor changes our life, redefines us completely. There's an opera, maybe some of you have uh, sat through it and listened to it, watched it. Um, called The Man from La Mancha. And the main character is Don Quixote. Don Quixote is a, it's a set, the settings in Spain, and he is a guy who thinks he's a Spanish knight. But he's delusional. And uh, kind of the uh, town fool. But he goes around believing he's a knight. One day, uh, he meets... He, uh, he goes to the uh, local bar, club, uh, and grill place, and he meets this waitress, who is a waitress by night, uh, by day, actually, uh, but she's a harlot by night. And uh, she's, 
she's broken, he's broken, and um, she's just trying to make it. And, and he sees her, and all he could see is his princess. And uh, this woman's name was Aldonza. And when he meets her and they introduce her, he says, no, you're not Aldonza. Your name is Dulcinea, my Spanish princess. And, you know, she's been hit on a lot of du- by a lot of dudes through the years. Um, and she just kind of treats him as a fool. He's harmless. Um, and, but he continues. He's there all the time. And he, he uh, continually uh, looks at her as Dulcinea. Um, in the next to the final chapter is the most horrible um, chapter of all. Because in that chapter, Aldonza uh, leaves the uh, bar and is attacked by several men uh, who rape her, beat her, and with clothes torn, she goes back to the bar uh, because she has nowhere else to go. Um, And there is Don Quixote. And Don Quixote is uh, worried. He said, what's wrong? What has happened? And um, this is all an opera, and I'm not going to sing it to you. Um, but um, she is had it up to here. She, no more, no more. She says, I am not Dulcinea. I am not your Spanish princess. I am Aldonza. I am nothing but a slut. And she runs out in the chapter. Then they move forward uh, quickly to the end, and Don Quixote is dying. He's in his uh, home bed with a few family members, his faithful companion. Oh, I forgot the guy's name. And uh, uh, they're just kind of preparing his last moments. And uh, there's a knock on the door, and one of the family members goes to the door um, to see who it is. As the door opens, there is this uh, elegant woman who is dressed beautifully, um, who shines the moment you, everyone see, anyone sees her. And she says, I'm here to see Don Quixote. And the family member says, um, you may be too late, um, but you may come in. And as she uh, is led to the door, he ex- the uh, family member explains that he's been in and out of consciousness. We don't know um, if you could even hear him. So she walks in, and he's kind of unconscious, uh, and uh, she runs to his bedside. And then that she falls on her knees and embraces his hands and says, you must, you must hear me. This is me. I am Dulcinea. I am your Spanish princess. And in that last moment, Don Quixote opens his eyes 
And he says, uh, oh, I, I should say, she says, I'm everything that I am now is because of you. And he says, Dulcinea, in his last moments, I knew you would come, my Spanish princess. That is the power of grace. That is the power of being seen differently. Your value is a gift in grace because you belong to him and he sees you with favor, placing you out of that cycle, psychological cycle of trying harder, of being good, and having to fit in. And instead, he does the work of placing you in Christ. And therefore, as he says in Romans chapter 5, shifts you out of deadness and into standing in grace. I think the world's got it all twisted around. It is belonging first that is the basis of you. The Holy Spirit empowers us and he gives us that gift. Um, we're not, but we're not dependent in our doing for self-defining us. We're neither dependent on our being to define us. The world's got it all upside down. It is not your doing that empowers your being or your belonging. It doesn't matter how many jump shots my daughter missed. It doesn't matter that she's struggling with a course or grade. It doesn't matter um, in our adult lives, our jobs, uh, our acts of work. It all starts with the foundation of belonging. And out of that shapes being and doing. So let me give you an application to it all. Three things. Well, two, and then I have a video for us. One, embrace his ownership of you. Start, that's where it all starts. That you are his. And he is yours. Two, Surrender the work of defining yourself. It isn't your job. It's his. Give it up. And then lastly, as you go through the journey of self-definition, watch this. Define yourself. Me, myself, and I. Define me, myself, and I. Define yourself. Let's pray. Lord, I would just ask that um, you would give uh, give us um, a sense of your presence and a deeper sense of belonging. 
And if you right now have been struggling with uh, your self-definition, if you've been comparing yourself, if you've been struggling with criticalness, and sometimes just plain deadness, know that God has come in the form of Jesus to offer to make you alive and to take over the work of transformation from dead to life. Your rest is that you belong. And your promise, the promise is wonderful because the promise is you'll change you. Trust him as we continue to worship and praise and worship.